you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your devices or whatever you get your Bible on, uh, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter to kind of build up the context again. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll start there, uh, but we're focusing on verses 12 through 14 today. That's what I'm going to be uh, working on. And so First uh, John, starting chapter 2, verse 1, it says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Excuse me. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know who, where he is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We're going to focus on this today. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. I'm writing to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you, children, because you know the Father. I write to you, fathers, because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you, and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that you bring us through, through your word, that John has, has taken this time to, to set apart a passage that encourages the church. He's talked about what it means to, to be a believer, what it, what it looks like for those who, who would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, and what it looks like for those who are not. So, Lord, thank you that you would circle back around and that you would show us your grace by affirming to this church that they're believers, affirming to them that they've overcome the evil one, affirming to them so many wonderful truths that you've poured out in this passage. Father, I pray that, that as we walk through this today, that this would be an encouragement to some in this room, uh, that, that it would also be an exhortation, that we would see your gospel and that we would respond to your gospel in a way that, that honors you, in a way that glorifies you. Father, let me, let me speak your truth this morning. Let me speak the words directly from your Holy Spirit and not of my own. But we pray that you, would, that you would work in this time and that you would communicate things to us so that we can understand them well. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. 
Amen. So uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, can you think of someone, just off the top of your head, someone in your life that has been a major encouragement to you? Somebody that, that has extremely encouraged you in your life. Somebody that has the words to make you feel like you could take on certain things that you don't feel like maybe you could take on by yourself. Uh, my person of encouragement in my life was my mom. My mom was an extremely good and is an extremely good encourager. I believe that she has this amazing God-given gift of, of encouragement. And if, you're, if you knew me as a kid, you would know that I needed that. Like, I was, uh, it was very important to me, and I I didn't, and I I still really don't have a lot of, a whole lot of confidence in myself. I don't have a lot of confidence in the things that I do. I'm a a people pleaser by nature, and so, like, what I want to do is constantly figure out how I can please others, and how how that can, like, how how I can do whatever I need to do to be able to please others. And, And with that, there was many times that I thought that the image of myself that I was portraying just just wasn't good enough, like wasn't adequate enough. And so I always felt like I needed to try to do more. I felt like I needed to try to to change things differently. I felt like I I just needed some acceptance from my peers that I wasn't getting. And so uh, my mom was always there to push back against those ideas, right? She always stopped me when I when I started to go down those roads. And one of the things that (laughs) one of the things in particular that that always terrified me, and I think you're going to kind of laugh at this. One of, one of the things that always terrified me was, was speaking in front of people. And so, like, I, I still kind of get discouraged with that sometimes. I still worry about that uh, a lot of way, in a lot of ways. And so uh, my mom uh, had this way of making me feel like I, I could do it, right? And so I remember this particular uh, social studies fair that I was involved in. Yeah, I know. I'm talking about a social studies fair. I'm a nerd. <laughs> like, that's, this is the thing that I struggled with when I was a kid, right? Social studies fair. So, anyway, I had this social studies fair uh, where we had this elaborate presentation on, uh, I think it was the Louisiana land region. So, we had, like, this big, this big, nice poster that we had spent, like, months trying to build. We had this, like, 3D model of Louisiana and all the importance of the alluvial soils that came down all the unimportant things that I'm talking about. So anyway, uh, we, my friend Garrett and I, we had, we had worked really hard on this for a long time, but it came down to presentation day. And that fear that I have of, of speaking to others and that, that fear of, of wanting to have acceptance from that person that I'm talking to kind of crept back in. So my mom, just like she always did, she starts to talk me through some of the things that are going to need to happen on that day. She starts with instructions. She says, look, remember, look the person in the eyes. They want, they want to see your eye contact. They want you to, they want you to be able to, to act like you're talking to them, not to the board or not to anything else that's going on in the room. Number two, don't just start rambling. Like, put your main point in front. Make sure, that you, make sure that you clarify that from the beginning. Make sure that they know what your main point is. Uh, number three, don't talk too fast. Keep a nice and steady pace. When you start worrying about things, you're going to start talking too fast. Don't do that. And remember, don't say um every time you come to a situation where you feel like you don't need to, or you feel like you don't have anything to say. Don't just start saying the word um a bunch of times. And so she would go through all of these things, but then right after that came encouragement, right? You can do this. Look, you've been doing this, you've, you've presented it to yourself 50 times, and you've done a wonderful job at it. 
Like, you, you can do this. Uh, it's going to pay off because of all the hard work that you've done up to this point. And all of these things to encourage me. She would, she would go through this, this list of things every time to, to encourage me to do these things well. And so that's kind of what we're going to see in this text today as we jump back into 1 John. John's going to shift his focus from an exhortation to an encouragement. So he's been, he's been exhorting the church. He's been, he's been telling the church, like, okay, this is what it looks like to be a believer in Christ. This is, what, this is what it looks like when you're a believer, and this is what it looks like when you're not. So he's been exhorting the church, like, okay, this is, this is what we expect of you. And now he's going to go right back into encouragement. And so he transitions from reminding his audience of the commands of Christ, and then he takes out this, this, a chunk of this letter just to be able to say, look, this is who you are in Christ. Like, this is, this is the church. This is, this is who you are. And so uh, we'll see what I believe is probably his main purpose later in the letter in uh, chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what John wants to encourage these believers with, this, this church that he's writing to. He says, I want you to know, I want you to have assurance that you have eternal life. And so he gives these, these six statements that we're going to see today to encourage the church. He wants to encourage them. And when we first look, it seems like the author is dissecting the church into these three groups of people, into the children, into the fathers, and into the young men. But if we, when we look a little bit closer into the context within the book of uh, 1 John, we're going to see that the author uses the word children in many other places to address all of the believers that he's talking to. So every, every bit of evidence that we have in 1 John says that when he says children, he's referring to all of the believers that he's, that he's talking to. So he says, uh, it, just a few examples, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Addresses them as children. In chapter 2, verse 18, he says, children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. So these are both references where it's pretty evident that he's talking to the entire church. He's talking to, to all of the people that he's referring to. So what I propose is actually going on here. Uh, what I think is the author's trying to do is to address the church as a whole as children, and then he's going to dissect that into fathers, which are the older people within the church, and then younger men. And so he's going he's gonna to make a kind of a blanket statement of the entire church and then dissect that into, into two other things. And so uh, something we also see as we're, as we're going through this is that uh, he begins to start repeating himself, Right? He begins to start repeating what he says. He says, I'm writing to you little children. I'm writing to you fathers. I'm writing to you young men. And then he goes back to these categories twice. And when he goes back to the fathers, he even repeats again exactly what he said. And so uh, the only difference that he says is that the, the first time he says, I am writing. And the second time he says, I write to you. And so it's a different verb tense there. It's different, different verbs. But I think this is definitely something for emphasis. Like he's, he's saying this for emphasis. And obviously there's, there's lots of different uh, connotations as to what this could possibly mean. 
But I, I think just from looking at the text, uh, I think this is for emphasis. I think what the author is trying to say is, okay, I'm, he's being like a good Southern Baptist, right? He's saying, look, I'm writing these things to you. I'm telling you about these things. And then I'm going to tell you that I told you about those things just to remind you again. And so uh, one, of the, one of the things, remember, what we always talk about when we're studying Scripture, if we see a repetition in Scripture, then it's got to be important. It's got to be something that the author is emphasizing. And so I think John is just trying to emphasize that here. And so since much of this is, is repeated, I'm going to take it in three categories. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to take it in, in three different categories. We're going to take it as children and then as fathers and then as young men. And so as he exhorts all three, or as he encourages actually all three, uh, that's kind of how we'll walk through this passage. So uh, starting in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So he's addressing the entire group of true believers at this time, those, those, that would, those that would say that they believe upon the name of Christ, those that are truly walking in repentance and in, in understanding of who he is, those that are walking in the light. That's what he says. He says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And so another way to say this is on account of his name. So for his name's sake or on account of his name, your sins are forgiven on account of Jesus. And so that's, that's what he's trying to, to portray to them this morning. He wants them to recall the things that he told them earlier in this letter, right? So starting in chapter 2, verse 1, again, he says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So if you want to get into the discussion of what he means by the whole world, uh, Blake, I think, did a really good job of, of breaking that down a couple of weeks ago. So if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, that I think that's really beneficial. I think that's something that, that you should definitely do um, if you weren't here for that. But I think what the author wants to do through this is he wants to in, encourage them that Jesus is two things. He is the advocate for us with God in our relationship to God, and he is the atonement for our sins. And so those are the two things that, that John wants to focus on here. So when he talks about an advocate, he means someone that literally stands in the gap, that stands and pleads the case for someone else. And so uh, a lawyer would be considered a, a good advocate, right? He speaks on behalf of the client in order to mediate between them and the judge, right? He, he is literally speaking on behalf of whoever he's representing to the judge. And so in the same way, and even more so, Jesus Christ, whose righteousness was shown by the, the perfect life that he lived, by, by his perfection, he pleads with God on our behalf. He goes to the Father for us. When we can't go to him because we're sinful beings, Jesus Christ is perfect. Jesus Christ is righteous. He satisfies that righteous requirement, and so he's able to go to the Father to plead for us. And so, also, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, right? Scripture tells us that, that God not only took it upon himself to give us an advocate, to give us an advocate to speak on, on our behalf, to, to speak in our place, but also 
provided Christ as the atoning sacrifice, as the sacrifice in his death on the cross to regain God's favor. So he took on our sin, took on our shame, stepped into our place, and was the atoning sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath. All this so that we can be reconciled, so that we can be brought near to God, so that we can know Him and cherish Him and experience Him. And so he would then go on at the end of verse 13, the next time he says, he says, I write to you children because you know the Father. So not only is he our propitiation, not only is he our advocate, but we also are able to know the Father because of him. This is the level of intimacy that we receive with Christ when, when he is our advocate, when he is the one that steps forward with us. We can now approach God as more than just a judge and more than just an executor, but he is our father. He is our dad. He is the one that we can go to. David gets the opportunity today, David Morris, he, he gets the opportunity today to go to Central Bible Church, uh, to a church that, that he, I guess he grew up in. I know he was there for a long time anyway. Uh, but he gets to preach about adoption today. He gets to talk about the, the joys of adoption and, and the gospel behind the plan, God's plan of adoption. And so to understand our story as believers, we have to understand that we were purchased by God with a price, right? We were purchased by him with a, a price that came through Jesus' sacrifice. And through this, we were welcomed into a family. We were made new, and we were welcomed into the family of God. Romans 8 says that we didn't receive a spirit of fear, but we received a spirit of adoption as sons. We became sons and daughters we have intimacy. We have this personal relationship with the God of the universe. How amazing is that? And so that's a good place to start when you're, when you're encouraging the church, right? That's a good place to start. Uh, see, I talked about my mom's encouragement earlier. I talked about how she encouraged me, but all of the things that she encouraged me with were based on my performance, were based on things that I had done. Yeah, you've, you've done this well in the past. Oh, you've prepared this. You've You've done the work that it takes to get to this point. The encouragement in this passage, it has nothing to do with our performance whatsoever. It has nothing to do with, with who we are. It has to do with trusting in and knowing our advocate, knowing the one who atoned for our sins, knowing Jesus Christ, allowing him to dictate the way that we live our lives. That's what comes from this. So then he moves on to the father's. Right? There's debate about what he means by fathers here. Does he mean older men within the church? Uh, that's, what, that's what we would see in other passages of Scripture. We, uh, when, when, he refers, when they refer to fathers, they refer to the, some of the older men in the church. Does he mean the more spiritually mature people in the church? Maybe. Maybe so. Um, I would hope that as, you know, if these guys are truly believers, which it says that they are, uh, that as they're growing, as they're being sanctified, that they would become mature in their faith, right? So hopefully, hopefully th those things coincide. Older, older, older people, older men, and wisdom and maturity would kind of go hand in hand, right? Uh, but he says in verse 13, he said, and basically again in verse 14, he says, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. 
He's referring to the word of life that he refers to at the beginning of his letter. The one who was with the Father, the one who was made manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus Christ again. And he says, he says, because you know him who is from the beginning. He says that they know him. And so the author, John, has already kind of laid out some pretty helpful indicators for this, right? He, he says, if you, if you know him, you're going to act, you're going you're gonna to live in this certain way. If you, know, if you don't know him, you're going to live in this certain way. In uh, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 5, um, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him, while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light, as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. And then in chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he'll say again, he says, and by this we know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar and the truth is not in him. So what he's doing in this passage is he's encouraging these older men. He's, he's affirming that, that he sees that their lives are characterized by these things, by walking in the light, by good fellowship with one another, by true confession of sin, like being able to confess sin to one another and not trying to keep it hidden within yourself and keeping his commandments. He sees that they're walking in holiness and that they're being sanctified and that they're being brought near to him. He sees that, and he wants to encourage his church. He wants them to know, to have assurance of their faith. And so, uh, my older people in this church, uh, does, this, does this characterize your life? Is this, is this what we see uh, when we look at your life? Or are, you, are you the example of maturity that the younger men and women in this church need to see? Like, we need that. We need to see that example of maturity. Like when you examine your life, can you say that, that you truly know God? And when I talk about knowing God, I'm not talking about knowing about Him. I mean, it's good to know about Him in His scriptures, but I mean something that's, that's much deeper than just knowing about God. I mean, do you, do you really know God? Like, do you think about God well? When you think about God, do you think about Him well? Do you have energy to do God's work? Do you prioritize His work? Do you have boldness for God when you're faced with adversity, when you're faced with difficult trials in your life? Have you, have you been able to say, look, I, I could stand up to that because I'm bold, because I have boldness that comes from the Lord? Do you have contentment in Him and Him alone? Do you have contentment to where you can say, look, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what goes on in this life, I know that you're there for me. I know that you have me, and I seek you. I seek you only. Those are difficult questions. Uh, J.I. Packer, in his book, uh, Knowing God, he said some things about, about knowing him, and, and it kind of stopped me in my tracks when I read it. I read it a couple of months ago, and uh, it, it, kind of, it was something that really kind of spoke to me. <laughs> it was like, he, he says, uh, 
I don't know if we'll have it up on the screen. Yeah, there we go. He says, do we desire such knowledge of God? Then, first, we must recognize how much we lack knowledge of God. We must, we must first learn to measure ourselves, not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts and responsibilities in the church, but by how we pray and what goes on in our hearts. Many of us, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level. Let us ask the Lord to show us. And second, we must seek the Savior. When he was on earth, he invited men to company with him. Thus they came to know him, and in knowing him, to know his Father. And so these words were, were really challenging to me. I mean, when he talks about uh, what does your prayer life look like? You know, it's, it's much deeper than, than what we can do when we show up here on a Sunday morning. It's, it's much deeper than, than how we communicate with our friends and how we communicate with people. But how, do we know God? Do we truly know him? Do we cherish him for who, for who he is? Are we, are we praying to him? That's the, that's the big question that I've been asking myself lately. Do we do we talk with him as much as we talk about him? Uh, that's, that's just something that, that I've been examining myself, and I, I hope that I can encourage you to do, to do the same as, as we walk through this. So, okay, I'm done with the older men and women now, I guess. So let's go on to the, to the younger men. Uh, in verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And he elaborates even further at the end of verse 14. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. And so John says there are two reasons why they've overcome the evil one, right? There's two things in here, and really it's, it just kind of boils down to one. Uh, they've overcome the evil one because they're strong. But why are they strong? They're strong because the Word of God abides in them. The Word of God remains in them. He's very careful to let them know and let us know that this is something continuous. This is something that continues to happen over your lifetime. The Word of God continues to remain in you. You continue to seek after Him and to study His Word and to know His Word in order to, in order to know Him more. And so it has to be, right? This has to be something that continues throughout our life. What do we know about the evil one? What do we know about Satan? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour us. That's what he wants to do. Satan is very skillful at doing two things. He is the best accuser and the best tempter that you will ever see. He's the best one on the planet. He wants to accuse you of the sins that you've already committed, and he wants to do everything in his power to tempt you to do the sinful things that you haven't done yet. That's what Satan is out to do. Those of us who have been trapped in, in that bondage to sin, which basically is all of us, right? Uh, we've all been there. We, we all understand that. Those, have been, those of us who have been trapped in that, we understand this. He plays games with us. He does anything that he possibly can to make us feel like we need another way to atone for our sins, that Christ was not enough, that, that Christ's sacrifice was not enough, that we need more than that. We need to take care of our sins on our own. He, does, he plays so many games with our head to make us think that, oh, that's, that's sin that you did in the past. Yeah, 
uh, you said you were forgiven, but no, there's no way that you can be forgiven for that. You can never be forgiven for that. Satan has a way of, of making us do that. He wants us to lean on ourselves. He wants us to feel guilty about our sins that have already been confessed and, and have been paid for. He wants us to hate ourselves for the things that we've done. That's what he wants us to do. And at the same time, he helps our minds make it so easy to justify the things that are coming in front of us. That anything that he's, attempt, that he's attempting to make us commit, any sin that he's attempting to make us commit in the future, he makes it so easy for us to justify those sins. He makes whatever it is in your life look so good that, you want, that you're convinced to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, like he says in, in Romans chapter 1. He makes it so easy for us. And so, young men, I, but I want to encourage you today. The Word is, is the way that he combats this. The Word is what he says to combat this. He says, in, in their case, the Old Testament and the knowledge that was passed verbally and, and through the letters, uh, in our, and in our case, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, the, the Bible, that's how we combat this. The Word is what helps us navigate through this dark world. And, and as John has alluded to over and over, there's this illumination, there's this light that comes from knowing who he is, from cherishing Jesus through understanding, through our understanding and application of the scriptures. When we understand the scriptures, when we apply the word of God to our lives, that's when we see light. That's when we see God working in our lives. And so young men, I'm, uh, I'm speaking of myself in this category as well. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think we're serious enough about the word. Like we don't have that we don't have that zeal for the word a lot of times. For example, I'm, I'm going to pick on myself here a little bit. Uh, if you were to ask me to make an argument right now, if I was to stand up here and make an argument about the best team in Major League Baseball at this point, I could tell you a hundred different ways why it's the Houston Astros. I could, tell, I could go through their... Uh, pitching lineups. I could tell you everything about each pitcher in their lineup. I could tell you that they acquired Zach Greinke at the trade deadline and how, how he's going to help carry them through the playoffs and talk about each player in the, in the hitting order and tell you so many things about them that you would probably get bored with me standing up here. Uh, but I can do it passionately, right? I can, tell you, I can tell you about those things passionately because I care a lot about those things. I care a lot about what's going on there. But where's my zeal for, for the scriptures like that? Like, how do I, how do I passionately, I, how do I passionately talk to people about the scriptures? Do I do that very often? It, it's kind of a difficult thing for me to see in my life. I mean, I hear passionate talk about, about everything. I hear, I hear talk about, uh, I, oh man, where's Adam? I was going to pick on him. Uh, I hear talk about the game of magic. I hear talk about mountain bikes. I hear talk about football teams. I hear talk about chicken sandwiches all the time. All kinds of things in my life. But what if we were to develop a culture of engaging the Word of God on a level, on, on that type of level, where we're, where we're passionate about the Scriptures, where we're passionate about what Christ has commanded us, and we're passionate about how that affects the other people within our church and preaching the gospel to those people? in certain situations. What if, we were to, what if we were to do that? What if we took seriously the idea of walking in the light? 
like actually confessing our sins to one another, loving our brothers and sisters that, we, that we've been entrusted to, what if we were able to do that? What if we were able to use our gifts to praise God in the way that he commands us to? So I don't want to communicate to you that these things come from a, from a strong willpower, like where we, where we just will ourselves to do these things. I'm trying to, if we're trying to will ourselves to do these things in our own power, we're going to fail miserably. We're probably going to hurt people in the process, right? Because we're not capable of doing that. I would encourage you today to cling to Jesus Christ. He is the word of life, and as John calls him, and, and, and you're going to learn, of, and as you learn of him and you start to display his character, you're going to see the gospel being displayed in your life. You're going to see things come out of your life uh, because of who Jesus Christ is. But how do we lean on him? How do, we, how do we trust in him? We feast on his word. We celebrate what's, what's said in his word. We feast on his word. We spend every moment that we possibly can dig, diving into the scriptures. That's convicting to me because that's difficult for me. That's something that I haven't prioritized well. And so I encourage you to step in with me and to do that. But I want, I want you to remember, though, as we kind of finish up this and, and wrap this up, the tone of this verse is encouragement. And I know that we have a church of people who, when we say to do something, they like to go and, and do. But the dialogue here is not be strong, which is going to cause you to resist the evil one, which means that you're going to be abiding in his word. It's not in that order. It's actually the other way around. The passage is an encouragement for those of you that are found in him. Those of you that the people who have responded to God's effectual calling on their lives, who've been regenerated, the people who, those who have been born again, and those whose hearts have, have turned from stone to flesh, those are the people that he's talking to today. The people who are experiencing new life in Christ apart from their old selves. That's who, that's who John is, is encouraging today. And this is an encouragement to you that if you're in Christ, he has overcome the evil one. He is the one who has overcome Satan. He is the one who has taken on, uh, who has taken on sin for our sake. By his blood's atonement, we have defeated Satan as well. And so my exhortation from this is, is just to cling to Christ, to cling to his word, to cling to everything that he has to say to us, Marvel at the redeeming love that Christ has for his children. Understand what it means to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. The God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us and is in relationship with us. And through that, let your lives reflect these other things. And just as we, as we sang about a few minutes ago, it said... We, we want you to, this is the whole thing about this passage today. He wants us to remember. He wants us to remember what God has done on our behalf. And so just, just like we sang about a few minutes ago, remember his atoning, his body broken for me. Remember his approval, he gave his life to say so. Remember his appealing, my Lord is interceding. And remember if you have breath to breathe it out and praise him. Let's pray.
Hey, good morning, everybody. Uh, you'll see the caravan of children's church people going out. So that's your cue if you have a kid. To, it's time to roll. So anyway, I'm, I'm thankful to be here this morning. I'm thankful to be, to be with you guys again. And uh, I know some of you are thinking, who is this guy? My, my name's Trent Whitley, and I'm a pastor here at uh, Sulphur Community Church. And so uh, I, I have the privilege of being able to, to speak with you this morning again. And if, uh, if you've only been coming here for a few months, you may be kind of wondering, like, okay, why have I never seen this guy before? Like, I've been here for, for a while now, and I, I haven't seen this guy preach. What's, what's going on? Uh, for the last six months, Blake and David have uh, graciously given me the ability to uh, step down in my pastoral duties and to uh, take care of things at my house, to, to be able to care for my wife well, to be able to care for my, for my daughter well, and just to be able to rest, to have some, some pastoral rest. And so I'm really thankful for those guys stepping in and, and taking on my responsibilities and taking on the things that, that I had going on at the time for me to be able to to rest and to, and to be cared for by the church. And I've really seriously experienced that during this time. Like, uh, I've had some, some sin that I've dealt with in my life, some things that, that, uh, that the Lord has, has shown to me. Uh, I've had some, some times where I could rejoice, where, where the Lord has just shown me His Word and shown me His grace and just the favor that He has on me. And, uh, so I'm just, I'm extremely thankful for that. I'm thankful to be able to be a part of this. I'm thankful for my community group, the guys that, that took me in and just kind of uh, ministered to me and cared for me and uh, have continued to love me. And so I am I'm extremely thankful, though, to be back today, uh, to be able to navigate the Word of God with you. Uh, if you have your Bibles, uh, please turn to 1 John chapter 2. That's where we're going to be today. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your devices or whatever you get your Bible on, uh, turn to 1 John chapter 2. Uh, I'm going to start at the beginning of the chapter to kind of build up the context again. Uh, so anyway, we'll, we'll start there, uh, but we're focusing on verses 12 through 14 today. That's what I'm going to be uh, working on. And so uh, 1 John, starting chapter 2, verse 1. It says, My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. But whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. Excuse me. By this we may know that we are in him. Whoever says he abides in him ought to walk in the same way in which he walked. Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you've heard. At the same time, it's a new commandment that I'm writing to you which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. Whoever says he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light, and in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know who, where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. We're going to focus on this today. I'm writing to you, little children, because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. 
I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I'm writing to you young men because you have overcome the evil one. I write to you children because you know the father. I write to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. I write to you young men because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for the encouragement that you bring us through, through your word. That John has, has taken this time to, to set apart a passage that encourages the church. He's talked about what it means to, to be a believer, what it, what it looks like for those who, who would call themselves followers of Jesus Christ, and what it looks like for those who are not. So Lord, thank you that you would circle back around and that you would show us your grace by affirming to this church that they're believers. Affirming to them that they've overcome the evil one. Affirming to them so many wonderful truths that you've poured out in this passage. Father, I pray that, that as we walk through this today, that this would be an encouragement to some in this room. Uh, that, that it would also be an exhortation. That we would see your gospel and that we would respond to your gospel in a way that, that honors you. In a way that glorifies you. Father, let me, let me speak your truth this morning. Let me speak the words directly from your Holy Spirit and not of my own. But we pray that you, would, that you would work in this time and that you would communicate things to us so that we can understand them well. Father, we love you, we thank you, and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, let me ask you a question. Uh, can you think of someone, just off the top of your head, someone in your life that has been a major encouragement to you? Somebody that, that has extremely encouraged you in your life. Somebody that has the words to make you feel like you could take on certain things that you don't feel like maybe you could take on by yourself. Uh, my person of encouragement in my life was my mom. My mom was an extremely good and is an extremely good encourager. I believe that she has this amazing God-given gift of, of encouragement. And if, you're, if you knew me as a kid, you would know that I needed that. Like, I was... Uh, I, I, it was very important to me, and I, I didn't, and I, I still really don't have a lot of a whole lot of confidence in myself. I don't have a lot of confidence in the things that I do. I'm a I'm a people pleaser by nature, and so like what I want to do is constantly figure out how I can please others and how how that can like how how I can do whatever I need to do to be able to please others. And, and with that, there was many times that I thought that the image of myself that I was portraying just just wasn't good enough, like wasn't adequate enough. And so I always felt like I needed to try to do more. I felt like I needed to try to, to change things differently. I felt like I, I just needed some acceptance from my peers that I wasn't getting. And so uh, my mom was always there to push back against those ideas, right? She always stopped me when I, when I started to go down those roads. And one of the things, that, <laughs> one of the things in particular that, that always terrified me, and I think you're going to kind of laugh at this, one of, one of the things that always terrified me was, was speaking in front of, people. And so like, I, I still kind of get discouraged with that sometimes. I still worry about that uh, a lot of way, in a lot of ways. And so uh, my mom uh, had this way of 
making me feel like I, I could do it, right? And so I remember this particular uh, social studies fair that I was involved in. Yeah, I know. I'm talking about a social studies fair. I'm a nerd. <laughs> like, that's, this is the thing that I struggled with when I was a kid, right? Social studies fair. So anyway, I had this social studies fair uh, where we had this elaborate presentation on, uh, I think it was the Louisiana land region. So we had, like, this big this big nice poster that we had spent like months trying to build. We had this like 3D model of Louisiana and all the importance of the alluvial soils that came down, all the unimportant things that I'm talking about. So anyway, um, we, my friend Garrett and I, we had, we had worked really hard on this for a long time, but it came down to presentation day. And that fear that I have of, of speaking to others and that, that fear of, of wanting to have acceptance from that person that I'm talking to kind of crept back in. So my mom, just like she always did, she starts to talk me through some of the things that are going to need to happen on that day. She starts with instructions. She says, look, remember, look the person in the eyes. They want, they want to see your eye contact. They want you to, they want you to be able to, to act like you're talking to them, not to the board or not to anything else that's going on in the room. Number two, don't just start rambling. Like, put your main point in front. Make sure, that you, make sure that you clarify that from the beginning. Make sure that they know what your main point is. Uh, number three, don't talk too fast. Keep a nice and steady pace. When you start worrying about things, you're going to start talking too fast. Don't do that. And remember, don't say um every time you come to a situation where you feel like you don't need to, or you feel like you don't have anything to say. Don't just start saying the word um a bunch of times. And so she would go through all of these things, but then right after that came encouragement, right? You can do this. Look, you've been doing this. You've, you've presented it to yourself 50 times, and you've done a wonderful job at it. Like, you, you can do this. Uh, it's going to pay off because of all the hard work that you've done up to this point. And all of these things to encourage me. She would, she would go through this, this list of things every time to, to encourage me to do these things well. And so that's kind of what we're going to see in this text today as we jump back into 1 John. John's going to shift his focus from an exhortation to an encouragement. So he's been, he's been exhorting the church. He's been, he's been telling the church, like, okay, this is what it looks like to be a believer in Christ. This is, what, this is what it looks like when you're a believer, and this is what it looks like when you're not. So he's been exhorting the church, like, okay, this is, this is what we expect of you. And now he's going to go right back into encouragement. And so he transitions from reminding his audience of the commands of Christ, and then he takes out this, this, a chunk of this letter just to be able to say, look, this is who you are in Christ. Like, this is, this is the church. This is, this is who you are. And so uh, we'll see what I believe is probably his main purpose later in the letter in uh, chapter 5, verse 13. He says, I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. That's what John wants to encourage these believers with, this, this church that he's writing to. He says, I want you to know, I want you to have assurance that you have eternal life. And so he gives these, these six statements that we're going to see today to encourage the church. He wants to encourage them. And when we first look, it seems like the author is dissecting the church into these three groups of people, into the children, into the fathers, and into the young men. But if we, when we look a little bit closer into the context within the book of uh, 1 John, we're going to see that the author uses the word children in many other places 
to address all of the believers that he's talking to. So every, every bit of evidence that we have in 1 John says that when he says children, he's referring to all of the believers that he's, that he's talking to. So he says, uh, just a few examples, in chapter 2, verse 1, he says, My little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. Addresses them as children. In chapter 2, verse 18, he says, Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, the Antichrist is coming. So now many Antichrists have come. So these are both references where it's pretty evident that he's talking to the entire church. He's talking to, to all of the people that he's referring to. So what I propose is actually going on here, uh, what I think is the author's trying to do is to address the church as a whole as children, and then he's going to dissect that into fathers, which are the older people within the church, and then younger men. And so he's going he's gonna to make a kind of a blanket statement of the entire church and then dissect that into, into two other things. And so uh, something we also see as we're, as we're going through this is that uh, he begins to start repeating himself, right? He begins to start repeating what he says. He says, I'm writing to you little children. I'm writing to you fathers. I'm writing to you young men. And then he goes back to these categories twice. And when he goes back to the fathers, he even repeats again exactly what he said. And so uh, the only difference that he says is that the, the first time he says, I am writing, and the second time he says, I write to you. And so it's a different verb tense there. It's different, different verbs, but I think this is definitely something for emphasis. Like he's, he's saying this for emphasis, and obviously there's, there's lots of different... Uh, connotations as to what this could possibly mean, but I, I think just from looking at the text, uh, I think this is for emphasis. I think what the author is trying to say is, okay, I'm, he's being like a good Southern Baptist, right? He's saying, look, I'm writing these things to you, I'm telling you about these things, and then I'm going to tell you that I told you about those things, just to remind you again. And so uh, one, of the, one of the things, remember what we always talk about when we're studying Scripture, if we see a repetition in Scripture, then it's got to be important. It's got to be something that the author is emphasizing. And so I think John is just trying to emphasize that here. And so since much of this is, is repeated, I'm going to take it in three categories. We're not going to go verse by verse. We're going to take it in, in three different categories. We're going to take it as children, and then as fathers, and then as young men. And so as he exhorts all three, or as he encourages actually all three, uh, that's kind of how we'll walk through this passage. So uh, starting in verse 12, he says, I'm writing to you little children because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. So he's addressing the entire group of true believers at this time, those, those, that, would, those that would say that they believe upon the name of Christ, those that are truly walking in repentance and in, in understanding of who he is, those that are walking in the light. That's what he says. He says, I'm writing to you because your sins are forgiven for his name's sake. And so another way to say this is on account of his name. So for his name's sake or on account of his name, your sins are forgiven on account of Jesus. And so that's, that's what he's trying to, to portray to them this morning. He wants them to recall the things that he told them earlier in this letter, right? So starting in chapter 2, verse 1. Again, he says, my little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, 
and not for our sins only, but for the sins of the whole world. So if you want to get into the discussion of what he means by the whole world, uh, Blake, I think, did a really good job of, of breaking that down a couple of weeks ago. So if you want to go back and listen to that, uh, that I think that's really beneficial. I think that's something that, that you should definitely do uh, if you weren't here for that. But I think what the author wants to do through this is he wants to in, encourage them that Jesus is two things. He is the advocate for us with God in our relationship to God, and he is the atonement for our sins. And so those are the two things that, that John wants to focus on here. So when he talks about an advocate, he means someone that literally stands in the gap, that stands and pleads the case for someone else. And so uh, a lawyer would be considered a, a good advocate, right? He speaks on behalf of the client in order to mediate between them and the judge, right? He, he is literally speaking on behalf of whoever he's representing to the judge. And so in the same way, and even more so, Jesus Christ, whose righteousness was shown by the, the perfect life that he lived, by, by his perfection, he pleads with God on our behalf. He goes to the Father for us. When we can't go to him because we're sinful beings, Jesus Christ is perfect. Jesus Christ is righteous. He satisfies that righteous requirement, and so he's able to go to the Father to plead for us. And so, also, Jesus is the propitiation for our sins, right? Scripture tells us that, that God not only took it upon himself to give us an advocate, to give us an advocate to speak on, on our behalf, to, to speak in our place, but also provided Christ as the atoning sacrifice, as the sacrifice in his death on the cross to regain God's favor. So he took on our sin, took on our shame, stepped into our place, and was the atoning sacrifice that satisfied God's wrath. All this so that we can be reconciled so that we can be brought near to God, so that we can know Him and cherish Him and experience Him. And so he would then go on at the end of verse 13, the next time he says, he says, I write to you children because you know the Father. So not only is He our propitiation, not only is He our advocate, but we also are able to know the Father because of Him. This is the level of intimacy that we receive with Christ when, when he is our advocate, when he is the one that steps forward with us. We can now approach God as more than just a judge and more than just an executor, but he is our father. He is our dad. He is the one that we can go to. David gets the opportunity today, David Morris, he, he gets the opportunity today to go to Central Bible Church, uh, to a church that, that he, I guess he grew up in. I know he was there for a long time anyway. Uh, but he gets to preach about adoption today. He gets to talk about the, the joys of adoption and, and the gospel behind the plan, God's plan of adoption. And so to understand our story as believers, we have to understand that we were purchased by God with a price, right? We were purchased by him with a, a price that came through Jesus' sacrifice. And through this, we were welcomed into a family. We were made new, and we were welcomed into the family of God. Romans 8 says that we didn't receive a spirit of fear, but we received a spirit of adoption as sons. We became sons and daughters 
we have intimacy. We have this personal relationship with the God of the universe. How amazing is that? And so that's a good place to start when you're, when you're encouraging the church, right? That's a good place to start. Uh, see, I talked about my mom's encouragement earlier. I talked about how she encouraged me, but all of the things that she encouraged me with were based on my performance, were based on things that I had done. Yeah, you've, you've done this well in the past. Oh, you've prepared this. You've, you've done the work that it takes to get to this point. The encouragement in this passage, it has nothing to do with our performance whatsoever. It has nothing to do with, with who we are. It has to do with trusting in and knowing our advocate knowing the one who atoned for our sins, knowing Jesus Christ, allowing him to dictate the way that we live our lives. That's what comes from this. So then he moves on to the fathers, right? There's debate about what he means by fathers here. Does he mean older men within the church? Uh, that's, what, that's what we would see in other passages of Scripture. We, uh, when, when, he refers, when they refer to fathers, they refer to the, some of the older men in the church. Does he mean the more spiritually mature people in the church? Maybe. Maybe so. Um, I would hope that as, you know, if these guys are truly believers, which it says that they are, uh, that as they're growing, as they're being sanctified, that they would become mature in their faith, right? So hopefully, hopefully th- those things coincide. Older Older, older people, older men, and wisdom and maturity would kind of go hand in hand, right? Uh, but he says in verse 13, he said, and basically again in verse 14, he says, he says, I'm writing to you fathers because you know him who is from the beginning. He's referring to the word of life that he refers to at the beginning of his letter. The one who was with the Father, the one who was made manifest to us. He's talking about Jesus Christ again. And he says, he says, because you know him who is from the beginning. He says that they know him. And so the author, John, has already kind of laid out some pretty helpful indicators for this, right? He, he says, if you, if you know him, you're going to act, you're going you're gonna to live in this certain way. If you, know, if you don't know him, you're going to live in this certain way. In uh, chapter 1, uh, starting in verse 5, um, he says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaimed to you, that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in darkness, we lie and we do not practice the truth. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar, and his word is not in us. And then in chapter 2, starting in verse 3, he'll say again, he says, And by this we know that we have come to know him, if we keep his commandments. Whoever says, I know him, but does not keep his commandments, is a liar. And the truth is not in him. So what he's doing in this passage is he's encouraging these older men. He's, he's affirming that, that he sees that their lives are characterized by these things, by walking in the light, by good fellowship with one another, by a true confession of sin, like being able to confess sin to one another and not trying to keep it hidden within yourself and keeping his commandments. 
he sees that they're walking in holiness and that they're being sanctified and that they're being brought near to him. He sees that, and he wants to encourage his church. He wants them to know, to have assurance of their faith. And so uh, my older people in this church, uh, does, this, does this characterize your life? Is this, is this what we see uh, when we look at your life? Or are, you, are you the example of maturity that the younger men and women in this church need to see? Like, we need that. We need to see that example of maturity. Like, when you examine your life, can you say that, that you truly know God? And when I talk about knowing God, I'm not talking about knowing about Him. I mean, it's good to know about Him in His Scriptures, but I mean something that's, that's much deeper than just knowing about God. I mean, do you, do you really know God? Like, do you think about God well? When you think about God, do you think about Him well? Do you have energy to do God's work? Do you prioritize His work? Do you have boldness for God when you're faced with adversity, when you're faced with difficult trials in your life? Have you, have you been able to say, look, I, I could stand up to that because I'm bold, because I have boldness that comes from the Lord? Do you have contentment in Him and Him alone? Do you have contentment to where you can say, look, no matter what happens in this life, no matter what goes on in this life, I know that you're there for me. I know that you have me and I seek you. I seek you only. Those are difficult questions. Uh, J.I. Packer in his book, uh, Knowing God, he said some things about, about knowing him, and, and it kind of stopped me in my tracks when I read it. I read it a couple of months ago, and uh, it, it, kinda, it was something that really kind of spoke to me. <laughs> it was like, he says, uh, I don't know if we'll have it up on the screen. Yeah, there we go. He says, do we desire such knowledge of God? Then... First, we must recognize how much we lack knowledge of God. We must, we must first learn to measure ourselves, not by our knowledge about God, not by our gifts and responsibilities in the church, but by how we pray and what goes on in our hearts. Many of us, I suspect, have no idea how impoverished we are at this level. Let us ask the Lord to show us. And second, we must seek the Savior when he was on earth, he invited men to company with him. Thus they came to know him, and in knowing him, to know his father. And so these words were, were really challenging to me. I mean, when he talks about uh, what does your prayer life look like, you know, it, it's, it's much deeper than, than what we can do when we show up here on a Sunday morning. It's, it's much deeper than, than how we communicate with our friends and how we communicate with people. But how, do we know God? Do we truly know him? Do we cherish him for who, for who he is? Are we, are we praying to him? That's the, that's the big question that I've been asking myself lately. Do we, do we talk with him as much as we talk about him? Uh, that's, that's just something that, that I've been examining myself, and I, I hope that I can encourage you to do, to do the same as, as we walk through this. So, okay, I'm done with the older men and women now, I guess. So let's go on to the, to the younger men. Uh, in verse 13, he says, I'm writing to you, young men, because you have overcome the evil one. And he elaborates even further at the end of verse 14. He says, I write to you, young men, because you are strong and the word of God abides in you and you have overcome the evil one. 
And so John says there are two reasons why they've overcome the evil ones, right? There's two things in here, and really it's, it just kind of boils down to one. Uh, they've overcome the evil one because they're strong. But why are they strong? They're strong because the Word of God abides in them. The Word of God remains in them. He's very careful to let them know and let us know that this is something continuous. This is something that continues to happen over your lifetime. The Word of God continues to remain in you. You continue to seek after Him and to study His Word and to know His Word in order to, in order to know Him more. And so it has to be, right? This has to be something that continues throughout our life. What do we know about the evil one? What do we know about Satan? 1 Peter 5.8 says, Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. He wants to devour us. That's what he wants to do. Satan is very skillful at doing two things. He is the best accuser and the best tempter that you will ever see. He's the best one on the planet. He wants to accuse you of the sins that you've already committed, and he wants to do everything in his power to tempt you to do the sinful things that you haven't done yet. That's what Satan is out to do. Those of us who have been trapped in, in that bondage to sin, which basically is all of us, right? Uh, we've all been there. We, we all understand that. Those, have been, those of us who have been trapped in that, we understand this. He plays games with us. He does anything that he possibly can to make us feel like we need another way to atone for our sins, that Christ was not enough, that, that Christ's sacrifice was not enough, that we need more than that. We need to take care of our sins on our own. He, does, he plays so many games with our head to make us think that, oh, that's, that's sin that you did in the past. Yeah, uh, you said you were forgiven, but no, there's no way that you can be forgiven for that. You can never be forgiven for that. Satan has a way of, of making us do that. He wants us to lean on ourselves. He wants us to feel guilty about our sins that have already been confessed and, and have been paid for. He wants us to hate ourselves for the things that we've done. That's what he wants us to do. And at the same time, he helps our minds make it so easy to justify the things that are coming in front of us. That anything that he's, attempt, that he's attempting to make us commit, any sin that he's attempting to make us commit in the future, he makes it so easy for us to justify those sins. He makes whatever it is in your life look so good that, you want, that you're convinced to exchange the truth of God for a lie and worship and serve the creature rather than the creator, like he says in, in Romans chapter 1. He makes it so easy for us. And so, young men, I, but I want to encourage you today. The Word is, is the way that he combats this. The Word is what he says to combat this. He says, in, in their case, the Old Testament and the knowledge that was passed verbally and, and through the letters, uh, in our, and in our case, the 66 books of the Old and New Testament, the, the Bible, that's how we combat this. The Word is what helps us navigate through this dark world. And, and as John has alluded to over and over, there's this illumination, there's this light that comes from knowing who He is, from cherishing Jesus through understanding through our understanding and application of the Scriptures. When we understand the Scriptures, when we apply the Word of God to our lives, that's when we see light. That's when we see God working in our lives. And so, young men, I'm, uh, I'm speaking of myself in this category as well. Um, I, I, don't, I don't think we're serious enough about the Word. Like, we don't have that, 
We don't have that zeal for the Word a lot of times. For example, I'm, I'm going to pick on myself here a little bit. Uh, if you were to ask me to make an argument right now, if I was to stand up here and make an argument about the best team in Major League Baseball at this point, I could tell you a hundred different ways why it's the Houston Astros. I could, tell, I could go through their uh, pitching lineups. I could tell you everything about each pitcher in their lineup. I could tell you that they acquired Zach Greinke at the trade deadline and how, how he's going to help carry them through the playoffs and talk about each player in the, in the hitting order and tell you so many things about them that you would probably get bored with me standing up here. Uh, but I can do it passionately, right? I can, tell you, I can tell you about those things passionately because I care a lot about those things. I care a lot about what's going on there. But where's my zeal for, for the scriptures like that? Like, how do I, how, do I passionately, I, how do I passionately talk to people about the scriptures? Do I do that very often? It, it's kind of a difficult thing for me to see in my life. I mean, I hear passionate talk about, about everything. I hear, I hear talk about, uh, I, oh man, where's Adam? I was going to pick on him. Uh, I hear talk about the game of magic. I hear talk about mountain bikes. I hear talk about football teams. I hear talk about chicken sandwiches all the time. All kinds of things in my life. But what if we were to develop a culture of engaging the Word of God on a level, on, on that type of level, where we're, where we're passionate about the Scriptures, where we're passionate about what Christ has commanded us, and we're passionate about how that affects the other people within our church and preaching the gospel to those people in certain situations. What if we were to what if we were to do that? What if we took seriously the idea of walking in the light? Like actually confessing our sins to one another, loving our brothers and sisters that we that we've been entrusted to. What if we were able to do that? What if we were able to use our gifts to praise God in the way that he commands us to? So I don't want to I don't want to communicate to you that these things come from a, from a strong willpower, like where we, where we just will ourselves to do these things. I'm trying to, if we're trying to will ourselves to do these things in our own power, we're going to fail miserably. We're probably going to hurt people in the process, right? Because we're not capable of doing that. I would encourage you today to cling to Jesus Christ. He is the word of life, and as John calls him, and, and, and you're going to learn of and as you learn of him and you start to display his character, you're going to see the gospel being displayed in your life. You're going to see things come out of your life uh, because of who Jesus Christ is. But how do we lean on him? How do, we, how do we trust in him? We feast on his word. We celebrate what's, what's said in his word. We feast on his word. We spend every moment that we possibly can dig, diving into the scriptures. That's convicting to me. Because that's difficult for me. That's something that I haven't prioritized well. And so I encourage you to step in with me and to do that. But I want, I want you to remember, though, as we kind of finish up this and, and wrap this up, the tone of this verse is encouragement. And I know that we have a church of people who, when we say to do something, they like to go and, and do. But the dialogue here is not, be strong, which is going to cause you to resist the evil one, which means that you're going to be abiding in his word. It's not in that order. It's actually the other way around. The passage is an encouragement for those of you that are found in him. Those of you 
that the people who have responded to God's effectual calling on their lives, who've been regenerated, the people who, those who have been born again, and those whose hearts have, have turned from stone to flesh, those are the people that he's talking to today. The people who are experiencing new life in Christ apart from their old selves. That's who, that's who John is, is encouraging today. And this is an encouragement to you that if you're in Christ, he has overcome the evil one. He is the one who has overcome Satan. He is the one who has taken on, uh, who has taken on sin for our sake. By his blood's atonement, we have defeated Satan as well. And so my exhortation from this is, is just to cling to Christ, to cling to his word, to cling to everything that he has to say to us. Marvel at the redeeming love that Christ has for his children. Understand what it means to be called sons and daughters of the Most High God. The God of the universe wants to be in relationship with us and is in relationship with us. And through that, let your lives reflect these other things. And just as we, as we sang about a few minutes ago, it said, we, we want you to, this is the whole thing about this passage today. He wants us to remember. He wants us to remember what God has done on our behalf. And so just, just like we sang about a few minutes ago, remember his atoning, his body broken for me. Remember his approval, he gave his life to say so. Remember his appealing, my Lord is intercealing. And remember if you have breath, to breathe it out and praise him. Let's pray.